Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we, we come before you uh, with sober minds, just uh, with the, the thoughts of doing anything apart from love. And Lord, we recognize that we are completely unworthy to, to look into this book and, and understand. So we pray that you would give us eyes to see. We pray that you would give us uh, ears to hear what you have to say. We pray that you would give us a mind to understand and, and the Holy Spirit to illumine and enlighten so that we can hear from you. Not just so that our minds will be filled, yeah, but Lord, that you would be praised that You would be exalted in our life, that, that there would be a change in our life and our behavior that the world can see. And then ultimately, You get honor and glory as well. We thank You for the privilege of being able to meet together today and open this precious book and glean its truths. And I pray that You would bless our time together. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen turn in your Bibles to John chapter 3, John chapter 3. I'm going to begin reading in verse 16, chapter 3, verse 16 of John. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world... to judge the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He who believes in Him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he does not believe in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This is the judgment that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light for their deeds are evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds might be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds are are manifested as having been wrought in God. Now we're bringing a conclusion here. Jesus is concluding this conversation that he's having with Nicodemus. And I just want to remind you where we are in this conversation. This conversation started out friendly enough with, um, with being introduced to Nicodemus, that he was a, a man of a Pharisees. He was the, his name was Nicodemus. He was a ruler of the Jews, and he came to Jesus by night. And it starts off, friendly enough, Nicodemus comes in and and says, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, uh, for no one can do these signs except unless he is from God. But then right off the bat, the conversation tends to spiral down, spiral out of control even, maybe from Nicodemus' standpoint. And Jesus answers a question that Nicodemus doesn't even ask. And that just starts the ball rolling. 
But I have to remind you that before we get into this conversation, John told us that uh, Jesus knew the heart of men. And he's illustrating that right here. So before uh, the conversation got too far, Jesus interrupts and says, Look, unless you are born again, you are not going to see the kingdom of heaven. And he brings up the subject and, uh, and off goes the conversation. Of course, Nicodemus has a question in verse 4. This would be the second question. The first question was really an unanswered question. But verse 4, Nicodemus said, or an unasked question. First was an unasked question. Then the second question was an asked question. Something that Nicodemus said, okay, well, let's go. You want to go down that path? Let's go. Nicodemus says, how can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time to his mother's womb and be born, can he? Now, he's saying that, Jesus, you're talking about such a radical transformation of being born again. How can it be? What do you mean? You can't, it can't physically be done. Even in the spiritual realm, how is it done? And Jesus points then and says, God is the one who does it. It's an act of God. God has to work in the heart. And then Nicodemus is perplexed and he, uh, in verse 9, asks another question. And his head, again, is probably spinning at this time. And he asks the question, how can these things be? How can these things be? And Jesus then lays into him again in the conversation, just degrades. And he, and he just hits Nicodemus with, with uh, a confrontation of Nicodemus' own sin, that he should have known the Word of God, but he doesn't know these things. And he says, how can you, being the teacher in Israel, not know these things, not understand these things? And, and he just goes right into that. But he answers Nicodemus' question in verse 13. He says, no one has been, uh, no one has ascended into heaven, but he who descends from heaven. How can these things be, Nicodemus? Well, first of all, man has to have a mediator, somebody to go between heaven and man. God and man has to be there. And that's the son of man. That's Christ himself. In the second Nicodemus, in verse 14, he says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. The Son of Man must be exalted. The second thing that man needs is a sacrifice. A sacrifice. And that Son of Man has to, to die, Nicodemus. And he's pointing to, uh, Christ is pointing to his own death. And then the third thing that man has to do in verse 15 is very clear. He says, so that, and I, the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone believes will in Him have eternal life. So do you get the flow of thought there? It's a three-part answer. He, man has to have a mediator, man has to have a sacrifice, and that's the Son of God, the Son of Man, and then man has to believe. He, ha- he has to be lifted up. The Son of God has to be lifted up. And a man has to believe. Th- that's it. And, and let me tell you, Nicodemus, if you don't believe, you're not going to be born again. And if you're not going to be born again, you're not going to what? You're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. This is not going to happen, Nicodemus. That's God's conditions on getting into the kingdom. Now look, the answer should have... Um, satisfied Nicodemus and he should have been just on his way. But that's not what happens. 
We start in verse 16, and this is one of the most important, one of the most favorite verses, one of the most famous verses, really, in all of Scripture, at least here in America and probably around the world as well. You can't look, uh, almost see a, a football game unless you see this uh, John 3.16 uh, sign held up. And so let me begin reading at verse 16. Actually, I've read the passage, haven't I? All right. The conversation, though, I want you to get this. This is important. The conversation just continues to spiral down. Or or really, if you want to say it this way, the conversation continues to escalate. Jesus hits him with this statement. And then Nicodemus has some questions, and, and, God, and Christ tells him the answers. And, uh, and then he hits him with uh, the, the, his own pride and arrogance. And he thinks he knows everything, but he doesn't know anything. He's supposed to be this teacher, but he doesn't know anything. And, and then Jesus, um, it should have stopped there, but, but Jesus goes on. And you have to ask the question, why does he go on? Because the mind of Nicodemus, there's still battles going on in this mind. And I want you to understand that. If you don't understand that, you're not going to see, you're not going to understand um, this flow of thought. You're not going to understand verses 16 to 21. It, It just won't make sense to you. And I want you to turn over. You need to see what's going on, not just in the physical realm, but in the spiritual realm. The The conversation escalates to a battle. It's a battle. Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We'll try to move through this quickly, but I want you to see this. This is important. This is groundwork for um, things to come. We need to understand. We need to have this perspective. When we are talking to the unsaved, when we are out in the world and we're talking, they need to, uh, we need to, to have this mindset, if you will. And I believe this is the mindset of Christ when he was talking in Nicodemus because John reminds us that Christ knew his heart. Christ knew his heart. Now, verse 4, he says, In whose case, you'll, you'll pick it up in just a second, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbeliever. Now, Nicodemus had already been put in that category. Christ put him in that category back in verse 12. He says, Nicodemus, you don't even believe our report, what we're saying. And you're not, you don't believe when I tell you physical things, and you think you're going to believe if I tell you spiritual things. You're in the category of an unbeliever. So therefore, Nicodemus, we can say that he has been blinded by Satan. He says, the God of this world, that would be Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbeliever so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. They're not going to see Christ in His glory. They're not going to understand who He is. So there's a battle taking place here. And, and it's because he is, he is blind. He's blind to the truth. Satan has put that blindness there. But now look at, um, look at a little bit further. In chapter 10, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul further explains this warfare that's going on. Chapter 10, verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war against the flesh. When you become a Christian, when you become a Christian, we don't hand you a a spear and a shield. 
You don't get that. That's not part of the equipment. Because we're not fighting earthly, physical battles. Battles in the flesh. He says, for the weapons of our warfare are not fleshly, but divinely powerful. In fact, swords and spears and shields, they do no good in the spiritual realm. They just, they wouldn't do any good. So we don't have any use for those in the physical, in the spiritual realm. He says, but our weapons are divinely powerful. They are powerful in the spiritual realms. And what is that he's referring to, really, in the context here? The Word of God for the destruction. So, so these weapons that we have, the divine, they're divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. That's a very important term. What does it mean? Well, look at the next verse. We are destroying... So this battle is going on and we're destroying speculations. Things that are outside of Scripture. Things that our mind just just wants to conjure up. Speculations. And every lofty thing that rises up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Now Paul is giving us um, an example maybe of what it would be like to have a spiritual battle... Spiritual battle here. And it has to do in the realm of ideas. And that's where spiritual battles really are. Now, let's put this all together. What we see is Satan has come. And among the unbelievers, he has blinded them. So that they cannot see. And that would be Nicodemus. And so for for them to understand. Uh, stand for them to see takes a battle. We have to break down those strongholds or those, um, what was the word? Those, those fortresses, those lofty thoughts. And what are those? Well, those are essentially lies of Satan. Lies of Satan that Satan has told and they're just placed one on top of the other. And they just build a whole wall that the person is in prison and he cannot see, he cannot get the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. He can't see it. And I think that's exactly where Nicodemus is. There's a spiritual battle going on here. And really the flow of thought is that Jesus is answering some of these questions that Nicodemus has in his own heart, in his own mind. And these questions are coming as a result of the blindness that Nicodemus is facing because of Satan. Now why did Satan put those things there? Because of false religion. Nicodemus was in a false religion. It was a works-based religion and he could not understand it and uh, he could not understand what Christ was saying and he was blinded from the gospel. He was blinded from the truth. And so Christ was meticulously, slowly dismantling this wall in this, in this battle there to, to unleash Nicodemus so that Nicodemus would see the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ. Do you get the picture? That's what's going on here. And you need to, need to understand that for the flow of thought. Now, let me just point out though, false religions, they are dangerous things. Do not underestimate them. Why? Because they're lies of Satan and they build up one little thing here, another little thing here, another little thing here. And before you know it, you're in a prison, a whole wall of thinking. The way you think, and it's just, it's causing you to be blind to the gospel. 
You know what? And believers are in that world. So we need to... What we're watching here is a spiritual battle that we need to master. We need to understand the maneuvers, the tactics here, so that when we go out and we're facing uh, conversations with unbelievers, we can remember Satan has blinded their eyes by telling them this lie, and they've bought into these lies. And so we have to come with the truth and say, boom, 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 boom. Give them the truth of the gospel. And here's what I want you to see from this passage. Just overall, the point of the passage is proper biblical understanding. Now, what, what you're surprised, what I'm surprised at here is really Christ is just giving Nicodemus just theology. This is a theology lesson. And it's pretty amazing that Christ would even go there, but he's giving him just simple, basic theology, who God is, what God has done, who Christ is, these kinds of things. It's... Proper biblical understanding exposes the lies of Satan and leads a person to genuine faith in Christ. And we get to witness this. And Christ is doing it so masterfully because He knows the heart of Nicodemus. The question I want you to ask with me today as we look at this is, what are some of the lies of Satan that blind people from the gospel? What are some of these lies? Because you know what? Some of the lies that Satan or Nicodemus bought into from Satan are the same lies that our world has bought into today. There's really nothing new. It's the same old Satan. Number one, there's, there's five lies, and we'll try to do this in as quickly time as we can. <laughs> there's laughter here in the front row. Five lies. Number one. Life revolves around you. Nicodemus had bought into the lie that life revolves around him. Now, Jesus kind of, you can kind of pick up on this at the end of verse 15. Now, turn back to John chapter 3. Verse 15, he says, So that whoever, Nicodemus, whoever believes, and, and the, 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 uh, there seems to be an emphasis on that, whoever, because it's, it's a repeated word. Whoever believes will in him have eternal life. Whoever, Nicodemus says, wait a second, wait a second, God only loves his people, the Jews. And I'm a Jew. In fact, I'm a, I'm a Pharisee. I'm a ruler of the Jews and I'm a teacher of the Jews. So that would include me. You can hear Nicodemus' thinking there. And then this is not just selfish thinking here. There's a wall there. There's a, there's a barrier there. There's some thinking, some concrete thinking here that Nicodemus has to get over. And so Jesus has to pull him out of his thinking and expose him to the truth in this area. And he says, and this is, this is what he says. He says, for God so loved the world, Nicodemus. Nicodemus, God loves the world, not just the Jews, Nicodemus. Now, you need to put that in context. And, and here's actually literally what it says. It doesn't say, for God so loved the world. It actually says, thusly. That's the first word. If you look at it in the Greek, thusly. Or in this way, God loved the world. We think of the word so as, oh, just so much. But it really wasn't that. It's just, thusly, God loved the world. He loved the world in this way, Nicodemus. He's going to give his son to the world to save the world. 
Now, the emphasis is not so much on what the, the, the gushy, gushy feelings that God has toward the world. It's an objective thing that he is just, he says, okay, in their sinfulness, I'm going to choose to love them and I'm going to choose to love them in this way by giving them my son, by giving them my son, that whoever believes will have everlasting life. It's not just to the Jews, Nicodemus. Um, and this, of course, is going to be confusing. But to Nicodemus, and, and he, so Christ spends a little bit more time on this, and he uses the word four times, the word world four times. And this word world is obviously talking about the world of people, the humanity, humanity here. Not just the Jews in fact, we might say that um, we might say it this way. In fact, th- this is one of the areas we would say that the world kind of misunderstands this verse. When you hold up John three sixteen, a football game, they see John three sixteen. They look at this, and here's the way they're going to read it. Here's what they're going to. Here's the way they're going to understand this verse. They're going to misunderstand it, just like Nicodemus has misunderstand much of Scripture. But it's a misunderstanding. They're going to see it as a universalism. When they see that word "world," they're going to see, oh, everybody. Oh, that's great. That's great. Here's the way they're going to read it. God was so emotionally attached to the world that He gave His Son in order that everyone in the world would be saved. That's a great verse. And you can see why that would be so popular. But there's a condition, isn't there? What's the condition? The world leaves out that condition. They see what they want to see, but they're blinded from that. And unfortunately, I've run into people, uh, more than one person that just misunderstands this verse. And they see it as universal that everybody's going to heaven. Oh, yeah, John 3.16. But listen, the salvation is limited to those who, what? Believe. There's a condition there. You have to believe. To be saved, you have to believe. It's not the world, every individual in the world, but it's categorically, as opposed to you, Nicodemus, or the Jews, Nicodemus. It's the world. And God is saying, or Christ is saying to Nicodemus, that every... I want people, I love the people from every tribe, every tongue. I want them to be saved. And that's, that's what Nicodemus is hearing. It's not just us. It's not just the Jews. No, it's not just, not just the Jews. So that's a major misunderstanding of Nicodemus. It's a bl- blind spot. It's a lie that Satan has uh, given Nicodemus. Now, let me show you how things were to work. In the Old Testament, if you turn over there to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. God has always loved the world. God was always had the world in view, in mind. Now, just, just quickly, you don't, have to, you don't have to turn there, but Genesis chapter 2. I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 12. Verse 2, and this is where God is talking to Abraham and he's telling Abraham, I'm going to make your name great and and I'm going to make you a great household. I'm going to give you a a land. But look at the end of verse, well, look at verse 2. And I will make you you great and make of you a great nation. I will bless you. I'm going to bless you, Abraham, and make your name great and so 
you shall be a blessing. Abraham was told by God, I'm going to bless you so that you will be a blessing to other people. Look at verse 3. And I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you, and in you all of the families of the earth will be blessed. I believe the Jews completely misunderstood that. They held the blessings to themselves, didn't they? They didn't share that. The idea was God was going to bless Israel. They were going to become a great nation. All the other nations were going to look to Israel and say, Wow, we want that kind of God with us. And they come and and they join. They believe in that God. That's the way it was to work. It didn't seem to work like that. There's a few pockets. There's a few times in history that, uh, that it seemed to work like that. But... You know what? Israel just, Israel failed. And just by way of application, how is the church doing? God has blessed us. Do we have, we bought into this lie? Do we believe this lie that, that the world revolves around us? Do we forget God loves the world? God is calling people from all the nations. Now obviously, they have to believe. There's a limitation. There's a um, condition. They have to believe. They, they have to accept Christ. They have to know who Christ is. So it should be a reminder to the church to, to get into play, to, to, uh, to let these blessings spill over into the world. The blessing of the gospel must, must spread. So Nicodemus had bought into this lie that the, and the Jews had isolated themselves and they thought, oh, God loves us and not the Gentiles. Let me give you another lie just quickly here. Christ, Christ is a, a good man and he's a great teacher. That's the lie that, that Nicodemus had bought into. And remember what Nicodemus said. He came in and said, hey, we know that you're from God as a, as a teacher from God. He was expecting the wrong kind of Messiah. He wasn't expecting a suffering servant as portrayed in the Old Testament. He was thinking of conquering Messiah. He misunderstood the sacrificial role of the Messiah. And look what Jesus is going to redefine uh, the idea of Messiah for Nicodemus. Starting in verse 12. Starting in verse 12. Jesus refers to himself, the Son of God, or the Son of Man, I'm sorry. And that picture there is a mediator. Jesus is the mediator in in verse 13. In verse 14, Jesus is the sacrifice. In verse 15, now we're back in John, you know that. John chapter 3, just a reminder. Verse 15, he gives, Jesus is the one who gives eternal life. Verse 16, He is God's gift to the world. In verse 17, Jesus is the the Savior of the world. In verse 18, He is the one who frees them from condemnation. And He is also the Son of God. Now right there should have been a a huge flag to Nicodemus. And he understood what, uh, what Christ was saying. He understood it. In fact, when Jesus used this term other places, what did they do? They picked up stones to stone him because he was claiming to be God himself. Nicodemus knew that claim. He knew what Christ was saying. And uh, Nicodemus, you, you could think, he's, ah, oh, I've got a stone. This is blasphemy. Unless, unless the light of the gospel was starting to filter in. And in verse 
19, Jesus is the light that comes into the world. Now, here's what Nicodemus had done. Nicodemus had underestimated this guy. He put him in a class of just one of the teachers. He was just a fellow teacher. Now, now just imagine this. Nicodemus is standing before the God of the universe... And he's, he's just going to be pals with him. He's going to kind of welcome him in. and just going to be pals. Listen, that's got to be embarrassing. When Nicodemus realizes who he's talking with and someone that can read his thoughts and know his mind that this is the very God that created the world. He should have been embarrassed. And I tell you, I, I get a little leery when we tend to bring Jesus down on our level. And, and I think we try to put our arms around him like a, a buddy or a pal or just a friend. Now look, he has called us friends. You know what? Out of respect, the disciples still called him Master and Lord and he accepted that title. He was the Master and Lord. And sometimes, every once in a while, He would do something and they would, His glory would be peeled back and these men would just fall to the ground in fear. That's who Christ was. He was not a mere man. Another lie from Satan is that you are safe, Nicodemus. You're safe from judgment. It's okay, Nicodemus. You're safe from judgment. Look at verse 18. He who believes... In Him is not judged. The key here is belief. Do you believe? If you believe, you're not judged, Nicodemus. But Nicodemus had already been put in the category of unbelief. So what's going to happen to Nicodemus? He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the Son of God. That's sobering to Nicodemus. Nicodemus thought he was going to work his way to heaven. If anybody was going to get into the kingdom, it was him. I mean, he was, he was the teacher. He knew the law. He was with the right people. He was, he was in. And now Christ is telling me, Nicodemus, you're not safe from the judgment like you think you are. You're not safe. Unless you believe you're, you're still under God's condemnation and you're still in the category of the unbeliever. And categorically, you will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. In fact, there's judgment and condemnation on your head. And Nicodemus, it's been there since birth. You're already in that category. And it's in Christ Jesus that one has to believe. In in the only begotten Son of God. The one and only, the unique. He uses this term twice in this passage it's the only unique son of god the only unique son of the father it shows jesus's deity himself and you know what in christ paul says therefore there is now no what condemnation for those who are in christ jesus isn't that a wonderful thought it's a wonderful thought we don't have to work our way to heaven we don't have to believe those lies of satan that oh you're okay you're you're not the judgment's not going to touch you we can stand confidently in christ and say no there's no condemnation to those who are in christ jesus listen if there's any message to the world it's verse 18 
18 is the one that needs to be known. Listen, whoever believes is not judged, but whoever does not believe is, is already judged. It's in Christ you have to believe. That's the message to the world. Quickly, let me give you another lie from Satan. You are basically, Nicodemus, a good person. You're basically a good person. You can just hear Satan whispering into the uh, ears of Nicodemus. Nicodemus, it's a, you're a good person, Nicodemus. And you can see the mind of Christ. And he says, you know, this is the judgment, verse 19. This is the judgment that light has come into the world. And men love darkness rather than light. For their deeds are evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. And what's going on here? He uses the word deeds. His, their, their outward actions. But those outward actions come from someplace else. Someplace inside them. In fact, Nicodemus thought that he was part of that light, probably. He, he was walking in the truth. He was walking in the light. But you know what? He misunderstood the nature, the sinful nature of man. He misunderstood it. The sinful nature of man, sin is seen on the outside because it resides on the inside. And Christ is saying here, those who are by nature children of the darkness do not like the light. They don't come to the light, Nicodemus. And again, I think it's a reference to the flesh. You're not going to be able to work your way to heaven, Nicodemus. It's not through the flesh, Nicodemus. Because you know what? You're going to repel from the light. By nature, by nature, I want you to, I want you to see this. He, he uses a few key terms here. Um, the light has come into the world. Christ Jesus is that light. And men, what? They love darkness. That's on the inside. What else? They love darkness, but they also hate the light. That's, again, on the inside. And because of their desires, because of what's on the inside, their, their reactions, their life, the things they do, the actions are sinful. They're sinful. Nicodemus didn't understand the true nature of man and his sinfulness. It's the true nature of man that causes him to run from the truth and hide from the, from the good and the upright and the righteous, the moral. And um, you know what? Unbelief is, is more than just ignorant. It's more than just ignorance. It, it, is, it, it is a willful rejection of the truth. And, and I tell you, today it's becoming more and more Comfortable, let's say, for the unbeliever. It's more and more comfortable to live in this world as an unbeliever and to just proclaim, I'm an atheist. Well, I don't, I don't believe that. They're, they're, they're just a lot more comfortable these days. Why? I think the light is just being retarded, being, being drawn back. I don't think the churches are being as effective as we, as we need to be in shining that light. Nicodemus uh, thought he was a he thought he was a good man, but inside his desires, and he knew this. He knew this. He was struggling with sin. Why am I struggling with sin? Because you you have to have a new nature. You have to be born again, Nicodemus. Now I just have to ask you that question: um, Do you have new desires? 
Paul said it like this, all things become new. You're a whole new creature there. Jesus put it like this, they have a hunger and thirst for righteousness. They're drawn to the light. They're they're drawn to righteousness, goodness, the truth. There's one other lie, and we'll close with this. You can produce spiritual life within yourself. That is a lie from Satan. And today we have so many people that concoct their own religions and they think they're safe from judgment and they think they've got this spiritual life figured out and it's some way apart from Christ. Look at verse 21. But he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds might be manifested. And here's the key. As having been wrought in God It is God who does this. It is God who causes us to believe. It is God who changes us from the inside and causes us to have different desires and to do different actions. And we run to the truth. We run to the light as a result because God is working in our life and we become dependent on the light. And when there's no light there, we can't see. We stub our toe. But it's God who is work in us. The word wrought there, it just literally means labor. God labors for us. God labors in us to work. It's, it's, and it's a passive. It's something that God has to do to us. Folks, this is a wonderful picture that Jesus is painting for Nicodemus here. This is the picture that a legalist needs to understand, isn't it? It is. It's not self-effort, Nicodemus. God is working in you. God has to work in you, producing change from the inside out. You misunderstand the nature of man, and you misunderstand the very fact that you cannot do it on your own. You cannot produce spiritual life on your own, Nicodemus. Paul reminds us of this. This is a precious verse. Paul says, we are His workmanship. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. God works in us. And that's the, that's the way to end this, this conversation. Nicodemus, it comes down, God has to work in your heart. And you'll be drawn to the, to the light. Now think about that. Nicodemus come to Jesus when? By night, under the cover of darkness. And I think there's some subtle uh, implications there for us. Nicodemus is a little shamed, a little shy, a little, I don't know. We don't know what the motivation, but, but he come to Jesus by night. And John told us that. And then Jesus ends the conversation with, with just a, a jab. Nicodemus, are you running to the light? Do you understand who I am? Do you, do you want to know really the truth? Because Christ will give him the truth. In fact, what we see in this passage, and we'll just wind this up, a proper biblical understanding, and that's what Christ gave Nicodemus, a proper biblical understanding of these things, exposed, exposed Nicodemus to the lies of Satan, and he leads Nicodemus to genuine faith in Christ. Folks, that is masterful. That's masterful. That's the way Christ evangelized. That's the way Christ handled an unsaved world, even an antagonistic world. And we have the model right there for us. 
just reminded it's the Word of God that's our weapon, isn't it? And Christ so masterfully, just with, with the truth, he, un, he just took one brick at a time, just dismantled them. Just took them completely away, just took them apart. And Nicodemus was sitting there exposed to the light. To the light. He was very patient with Nicodemus. And he broke down this fortress, this wall that had blinded Nicodemus. And it became a model, a picture for us. For us believers, for the unsaved world, how do we deal with them? We have to remember, they're in blindness. They're in darkness. We need to understand that. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank You for such a precious passage. Uh, Lord, we, uh, we are so blessed. We are so blessed to... To have your word just unpacked so that we can understand its meaning. So we, can, so we can see what's going on here. And understand the spiritual implications for our own life. Lord, we know so often we've bought into the lies of Satan. Lord, help us to shun those things. Help the word of God to work in our life and dismantle those walls so that the, we can we can see the light of the gospel. Lord, we thank you for your work in our life and we cry out, Lord, continue your work. Continue your work. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.